Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day, God. And Father, we do thank you for our independence, Lord, in, in this United States. We thank you for our freedoms, God. Lord, as um, Lord, we, we get closer to your return, those freedoms are, are, are Lord, we're being taken, God. But you know what? We're, we, we enjoy our freedoms, Lord. We love our Constitution and our rights. But, Father, I pray that as believers we, we enjoy those things, but we have a bigger picture mentality. God, that we are, we are children of the kingdom, that we are children of the king, and that, that this world is not our home, and, and that we, we don't need to fight so hard for all of these rights and freedoms. If, Lord, if, if we lose sight of fighting for the real kingdom that we're a part of, God, and that, Lord, our real fight at the heart of who we are is for the gospel, that our real fight, God, is to see lost people come to know Jesus at any cost. And so, Father, we, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you guys, you know, I know we got a lot of gun guys here. And how many of you guys, you gun guys, have this attitude? You know, if they ever come for my guns, they can pry them out of my cold, dead hands. Yeah? I know some of you guys feel that way. Right? Let me tell you guys something. You know, I know I love you, right? Do you, do you feel that same way about sharing the gospel? Would you die to share the gospel? You know what? I love my guns, but they're not going to... Pry them out of my cold, dead hands. They're not Jesus. Give them away. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm just not going to shoot somebody over. Like, I, I don't know. Just that mentality to me is like, okay, I get it. I'm patriotic too. I'm American too. But listen, I want us also to have that same fire for Jesus because we really live and fight for an eternal kingdom. You know, this one is temporary. And, 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 and yes, we're going to keep our Second Amendment rights. I'll tell, I, I know one thing. I'll encourage you guys with this. Tooele County will be the last county in the United States to lose their Second Amendment rights if it ever happens. Because there are more guns in Tooele County than anywhere else in the United States. You know that's fact, right? We're tied with Anchorage for gun ownership. All the counties in the United States, we're number one. So, <laughs> okay. Of course, we got somebody from Texas here. Yeah, well, I don't know about Texas. Texas is really number one. We, we had this... We had this uh, we had this couple in our couple's Bible study, and she was from Texas, and he was quasi from Texas, and we went around in a circle, and we started asking everybody to introduce themselves and where they're from, and she was kind of more outspoken. He was a little shyer personality, and she went first, and she tells all this story about Texas, and then he starts his story, and he says, well, originally I was born in Louisiana, but I'm from, and she goes, Texas, you're from Texas. <laughs> they, she wasn't messing around. She literally, they're a military family. He was an officer in the Marine Corps, and they were in 29 Palms, and uh, they were in our Bible study. She literally, literally had her parents send her a box of dirt from Texas, and in her hospital bed, she put the, she put the box under the bed, and now she could say that her, her child was born on Texas soil. <laughs> literally did that. Yeah, from Texas. Now, where was I going? I was, I was going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying that the gun ownership thing, you guys are encouraged. But listen, I'm going to tell you guys something. I, I don't think our Second Amendment is really as much in, in you know, how that, that's never going to happen because just too many people will pry them out of their cold, dead hands. But, you know, in the meantime of this whole fight, we've already lost our First Amendment. You, you don't have a First Amendment anymore. You, you may stand on your high horse about your First Amendment, but it's gone. There's no more First Amendment in the United States. When they censor the President of the United States off of social media, when the President of the United States gets censored, when, when, when the news is just not being told, did you guys hear they, they, they overturned the results in Arizona? Did you hear that on ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox, uh, MSNBC? 
Only one news channel even reported it. No, Fox didn't report it. Newsmax. I mean, you, you have no more second or First Amendment rights. So, anyways, let's fight for our rights for Jesus. That's what I was really trying to say. I'm trying to keep this Jesus here. <laughs> trying to keep this positive. Let's, let's fight for I'm not trying to make you all mad on Independence Day, okay? Don't, don't shoot me in the parking lot. Hey, did I tell you guys the book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand? Did I tell you guys that yet? Yeah. All right. You guys ready? I know these words are kind of small, and you guys in the back are not going to be able to see them. But um, as we get into the book of Revelation, this is something that we're just going to continue to go over because I, I don't want us to. And I'm, I'm excited. Like, I'm really blessed that we can take and tackle the book of Revelation, and any of us can do it. And maybe we've had the attitude in the past that it's daunting, it's hard, it's, it's unknowable. It's imbo- but listen, if you take it in this chunk, it, it, it adds such value. You can all understand it. Actually, if I'm being honest, the book of Revelation in this respect is one of the easier books in the Bible to understand. The hard stuff with the symbology and the beasts and the, and the typologies and all those things, most of that stuff is in Revelation 6 through 19. And, and it's telling you details of what's going to happen during the seven-year tribulation period. But guess what? You ain't going to be here anyways. So even if you don't get all that stuff right, it doesn't matter. You know, you know that it's events that are happening in the seven-year tribulation. So it doesn't have to be confusing anymore. What does that mean? Well, that's one of the events that's taking place. You know what it all means because it, it means that it's one of the events that's taking place during the seven-year tribulation. And, and, and so, and again, and you won't be here for it, so you don't have to worry. But let's, let's go through this together. I want you to learn this. Okay, you ready? The book of Revelation is not a hard book to... It's the only book that comes with its own divine outline. Write the things which, which were, chapter 1, the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, the things which will be, chapters 4 through 22. Now, chapters 5 and 6 deal with the rapture and a scene in heaven. Chapters 6 through 9 deal with the tribulation or the great tribulation where God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And pours out his spirit upon Israel, bringing them home again to himself. Chapter 20 is the millennium. Chapter 1, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. 21 and 22. New heaven and new earth. You guys got it? We left off last week. Chapter 1 shows one of the greatest pictures of Jesus in the Bible. You know, I remember hearing a study from one of my favorite Bible teachers, John Corson, out of um, Eugene, Oregon, Applegate Fellowship. And, and I listened to all of his stuff. I don't teach a passage that I didn't first hear what John had to say about it before I teach it. But one of the things that, you know, if I have any criticism of John, is that he tends to spiritualize things in the Bible. He brings this meaning out, and it's probably all there, and it's probably great, but I, sometimes it's, it, I, can't, I don't see it. Like this means that and that, especially as he's going through the Old Testament Exodus. It's so deep. It, it spiritualizes the passage. You know, Jesus had multiplied the fish and the loaves. How many loaves and fish were left over? Loaves and, loaves and fish? I don't know what it is. Five and eleven something? Five. But those things, you know, the meaning in those and bringing out this deep meaning, I'm like, well, I'm sure there's something there. And John's sharing a, 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 a message one time, and I was kind of having a hard time following him, but he was talking about... The, the different um, manifestations of Christ prior to or after the resurrection, meaning the resurrected Jesus Christ. 
And he was talking about different forms, that there's different kind of types or forms of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I was like, I, I just didn't get it. But after doing this study in Revelation, I, I understand um, what John was talking about in that Bible study now. It kind of came to me. I was like, yeah, it makes so much sense to me now. You know, when Jesus um, rose again, he was in what's called his glory. We call it our glorified body. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. The word is mansion in our English word. The Greek word means dwelling places. It talks about a new body that you're going to be given. Adam and Eve were given this body in the Garden of, uh, Garden of Eden because they were designed to live forever. And it was after sin um, that Satan fell and Adam and Eve sinned that God changed Adam. They still lived to be 980 years old. And do you remember they put an angel in front of the tree of life in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember that? Not Gethsemane, Garden of Eden. Why did, why did God put an angel in front of that tree of life in the Garden of Eden? Because if Adam and Eve ate of the tree of life in the flesh and they would have been stuck in this body forever, can you imagine this body a million years old? <laughs> so God was protecting them, but... He, he takes that tree of life and he moves it into heaven, as we're going to read in Revelation. And, and, and when we die, we know that our spirit goes on and we receive what is called the glorified body. Jesus appeared in that body. Do you remember he appeared many times after the resurrection? He appeared to, to the disciples on three different occasions. One of them, he was on the beach. And this is such a cool one. Remember they're out fishing and he told them, hey guys, what are you doing? Like, we haven't caught nothing all night. Who are you, by the way? And he's like, why don't you try throwing the net on the other side? So they're like, they do it, you know, and they can't haul the fish in. And, and, and then Peter somehow has like this, he realizes it's Jesus and he jumps in the water and swims to the shore and the other guys come in later. And Jesus is on the shore cooking fish. You know, but they didn't recognize him at first. Do you remember when Mary seen him? What did, who did she think he was? The gardener. He was, in his, he was in his glorified body because in that, um, but he eats. He eats the fish that's on the, that's on the beach that day. The disciples are in a room, and they're in a locked room because of the security, and they're still afraid for their lives. And it says that Jesus appears in this room. Now, it doesn't tell us, like, he walked through the walls, or, but it definitely he didn't go through the doors or knock on the door. He's just in the room. So the body that he was in didn't have limitations. And now we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 in this picture, and he's in his glorified body, but he's in his glory. You know, one other time, Jesus was glorified in front of John Peter and James. Remember when that was? At the where? At the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and, and Jesus showed them just a piece of his glory. They got a little taste of the glory, right? And that was necessary. And I think for each of their ministries, the Mount of Transfiguration and the little taste of glory that they would have received. Now, now I don't know what Jesus and how he would have appeared like in the Mount of Transfiguration as he was glorified before them. I, I kind of think it was more like the picture we see in chapter 1. But in chapter 1, it's 100% unequivocally, it's Jesus who's happening. And, and the Greek word is, it says, John says here in like verse 16 or 17, I turned and I looked. And the Greek word means I perceived. It, it's the same kind of idea that when Mary was thinking that Jesus was the gardener and Jesus said to her, Mary, it just hurt, just the name, that, that she began to weep and she began to cling to him and she perceived then it was Jesus. Now, John has this moment, and, and he says, I turned and looked, or in Greek, I perceived the, Jesus. And, and then what does it say that John did when he saw him? What, is, what did John do? Were you not in church last week? 
A little disappointing that I preached my heart out on this passage and you look at me like I'm crazy. John fell down face to the ground like in awe of who he saw. Now, if you're a stranger and you see Jesus for the first time in his glory, I get it. John knew Jesus better than anyone. He's seen every aspect of who Jesus was in this glorified body. He was there on the beach. He was there before at the Mount of Transfiguration and seen Jesus glorified as Moses and Elijah appeared. He laid on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper. He knows Jesus. Now, why in this particular appearance does this awe does force John, the apostle, the very friend of Jesus, the closest friend of Jesus in the flesh ever, to fall at the feet of Jesus in awe and reverence? I can only imagine. You guys tell I can't sing. When that day comes. Somebody help me out. I can only imagine. Right? Will I, how's it go? Will I what? Will I stand? Will I fall down to my knees? Will we dance? No, you won't. You will fall on your face before the God of heaven in awe and reverence because he's that awesome and he deserves it and you won't know what else to do. And John of all people, and, and, and we talked about that last week at the end of the message, that, that, that this is a powerful picture of Jesus in, in, in Revelation chapter 1. I want you to catch that. I want you to go back through as you're reading through Revelation and see who Jesus is. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. Fascinating that this God calls you a friend. That he says, I, I won't do anything that I don't tell you first because I'm intimate with you and I'll share it with you. And this is our Lord here. You know, sometimes in, in, as we study through Revelation and prophecy and, you know, other, other churches and places that, that are afraid of it or don't do it, and I'll get the question from time to time. What, you know, what does prophecy do to your church? Or why, why do you share? What's the value of prophecy and teaching these, these prophetic things and you know, all this stuff all the time about prophecy? I want to share with you guys a verse. And I want you to turn there with me because I want you to highlight it and underline it real quick. But just turn to Revelation chapter 18. I'm sorry, Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Let me draw your attention to verse number 10. Now listen, and I share this at the the beginning of each week. Now we're still kind of in Revelation 1, so we're still in the intro to Revelation. But I think as we get into the book of Revelation, maybe I'll share this a little bit less. But again, I'll just say this, that as you come to this Revelation study, it's not just about bold judgments and vile judgments and the four horsemen of the apocalypse and where the four horsemen ride and 100-pound hailstones and, you know, all these dragons and beasts and women and, you know, end times and earthquakes and famines and pestilence and, ah, revelation, apocalypse. That's not what you're going to get in this study. Well, you're going to get that too, but some of that, because it's in the book, but that it's about Jesus. The the whole book is a revelation of himself, and what do we get, you know, and and hopefully, even as maybe somebody who's new to our, our space, somebody who's new to church comes and some of this stuff is really out there, that, that in this they're going to get Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, listen, as a pastor, as a church, we're going to stand and we're going to continue with biblical prophecy. It's so valuable to your life as a Christ follower. The Bible, um, conservative estimates, about 25% of the Bible deals with and is Bible, is Bible prophecy. So if you cut out prophecy and you think it's not necessary for the church or it's not important, you've cut out 25% of the entire Bible. 
Another number that I, that I hear often is 30, 33%. A third of the Bible even is, is Bible prophecy. But this verse right here should just end the argument for us all right here. Okay, let's look at verse number 10. And it says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, see that you do not do that. In this case, it's an angel. And we're not supposed to worship or fall at the feet of angels, only Jesus. I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God only, the angel tells John. And then the angel gives him this, and he says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Come on, somebody. I mean, if if the spirit of prophecy is Jesus himself, do you think it's a good idea to stay away from prophecy? It confuses people. No, it's not the attitude we want to have. It's it's his value. Listen, read it with me. Last part there. You guys ready? For the testimony of Jesus is is the spirit of prophecy. Okay? If you jam, you can turn with me. If not, I'm going to just read it. Isaiah chapter 40 in verse number 10. It says, You are my witness, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God form, nor shall there be any after me. That's the wrong verse. That's my next verse reference. I'm supposed to be in Psalm 40. Now you got time to catch up. Psalm 40. Listen, Psalm 40 verse 7 says, Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. Repeated in Hebrews 10. One more time. Then he said, Then I said, Behold, I come. Jesus comes in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. What's your Bible about? That's not hard. He says, Oh, I don't understand the Bible. You can tell him, Hey, the Bible's about Jesus. Well, what about Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? Oh, that's all about Jesus too. Oh, no, it's in the Old Testament before Jesus lived. No, it's all about Jesus. I can show you. And you just take him to the road to Emmaus. And Jesus is post-resurrection. He's walking on the road to Emmaus with two guys. And and they don't know who he is. So, again, we have Jesus. And we don't have these two guys like John falling at his face. We have Jesus walking with his two guys on the road. And like Mary and the gardener where she was confused and thought he was the gardener. These guys don't even know it's Jesus. And they're like, man, we had hope that he would be the one. And Jesus was walking with them. Well, sometime down the road, they realize who he is. And Jesus reveals himself to them. And then Jesus says this to them. Or Jesus does this for them. Um, Luke twenty four twenty seven. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus is through, he's starting in Moses, all through the prophets, tells them and starts showing them through the Old Testament all the things that are about Jesus. When we go through the Old Testament and we point out and we see Jesus, it's not crazy. It's, it's not made up. It's there. Jesus, your Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament is that Jesus is coming. The New Testament is that Jesus is come, has come and he's coming back. Amen? Okay, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. So I just wanted to kind of again one more time, and I didn't have a ton of time for it today because I'm, I'm, we're getting out of time, but... Um, to tell you that our study in Revelation primarily, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So it says, I, John, verse number nine, both your brother and your companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now back to nine beginning, John says, I'm your brother and your companion. Nowadays in church, Those that lead churches like to be called Holy Father or your eminence or your grace or right reverend. You know, it got got to the point where it was like you had to one up the guy in the church next to you. So he was the reverend. Well, this guy was the good reverend. 
Then the guy down the street was the good right reverend. Then the guy down the street was the good, good right reverend. And, and, and on and on and on. But listen, that's not Bible. I'm not reverend. Only Jesus is reverend. There's nothing reverend about me. If you don't believe me, just ask my wife. She'll clear it all up for you. That, that, that I am a fellow worker in Jesus Christ. We are called a body. And God says that every one of us in this body just has a different, different function. Some arms and some hands and some feet. I happen to be the obnoxious mouthpiece. But, but it's just an equal part of the body and not even the most important part. Really, my part as your pastor is the, is the part where God takes the ones that are just wayward and he can't really trust them anywhere else and he puts them up here so we have to be in the Word of God and study every week and prepare and stay close to Jesus. You know, Jesus said, of, of those that you've put in my hands, I've lost none. And he's like, them pastors are jumpy, man. I've got to keep them close. But... Again, I don't know where we got off on these titles for, 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 for ministers and pastors. Listen, everybody has a role and a right. And God has laid out in the Word the, the ministry of pastor-teacher. That's, that's a function in the body of Christ. A function that I've been called to and, and, and blessed and gifted to be able to do. But it, it's just a part of the function of the body. And I love it that John, if anybody who could claim some kind of seniority over the believers or over the body, it would have been John. And he doesn't do it. He just says, I'm your brother and your companion. In the tribulation, so John went through tribulation. You know, um, Domitian was ruling the Roman Empire. Caesar Nero had died, and Caesar Nero was a crazy whack job who died at 33 and killed three of his wives and his mom, murdered his first person at 15 years old. Nero was a whack job. He killed millions of Christians. And Domitian, who takes his place, wasn't any better. And Domitian is the one who took John and put him in a vat of oil. And he, and he wasn't burned like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And they exiled him to the, the island of Patmos. And John on the island of Patmos says that I'm a brother and a companion with you as Christ followers in our tribulation. In, in, in actually, the word, what word does he use? In tribulation. Hey, I've already shared with you guys a million times. I don't need to go over it. Jesus said you will have tribulation in this life. It says, in, it says in Timothy that if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will face persecution or tribulation. But it's not the same as wrath that, that is poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world in Revelation 6 through 19. Huge difference. Big, big difference. Okay? So don't ever think we're going into the tribulation because that's wrath and we're not appointed to wrath, it tells us. The Bible is very clear. You're not appointed to wrath. So... Um, and so John is, is, is a, a fellow brother in our tribulation and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I love John says of himself, I'm on the island of Patmos for, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is a person who understands that this life is about before anything, before our guns, before our rights, that this life is about being a witness for Jesus Christ. And he, he doesn't say, oh, I'm on the island of Patmos because I've been persecuted for my faith and they threw me in oil and it wasn't even olive oil. It was like Crisco and, I, and here I am and I'm so angry and, you know, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I was trying to like make fun of you guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I would never do that. Um, 
So, so he, but I love his heart, right? He's going through something hard, and, and he understands that even though he's in tribulation and it's hard, that, that it's for the, the ministry and the witness of Jesus Christ, that he lives for a bigger kingdom, that he lives for a bigger eternity, that this life is not his home. We spend so much time trying to make everything so comfortable in this life. This is not your home. This is passing through. How many of you guys um, camp? Any of you guys, let me ask, any of you guys still tent camp? Like a real tent? Okay, yeah, a couple of you guys. How many of you guys take the most fancy picture painting you have in your house with you on that camping trip and hang it in the tent? Nobody? How many of you guys take the, the finest cotton sheets or Egyptian cotton sheets you got? Egyptian cotton, does that make sense? Is it Egyptian cotton? Yeah, okay. That you have like 17 million count sheets on your camping trip. You don't do that. Because the camping is temporary. This life that you're living now, praise the Lord, is temporary. Let's start living for the one that's to come. Let's start investing in the kingdom of God. I told you last week, stop investing in gold and silver. Start investing in a missionary. You want a real real return on your dividends? Invest in a missionary. You financial people that are looking at me cross-eyed right now? (laughs) I won't say it. All right, all right. Verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Was it a trumpet? It was what? As of a trumpet, right? It, it look, look down um, to like verse um, 15. His feet were like fine brass. It refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Was it the sound of many waters? It was the sound as of many waters. You know, one of the things that John is limited to is things that were available in his day that he could use to articulate what he was seeing. Now, he he couldn't say it was the voice of a locomotive because he had never seen, there was no such thing as a locomotive. So he's using things that, that were available and made sense to him. But again, it's as of. And, and back to verse number 10 Jesus is the one who uses the voice as of a trumpet. I think that's important because the Bible says that in the rapture of the church, it's going to be a trumpet. And and it's not an angel, by the way, that blows the trumpet. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's Jesus himself and his voice is like a trumpet. And that's super important because in Revelation chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here. And as you know, that's where I believe the rapture is. That voice of a trumpet is the same exact thing as we find in 1 Thessalonians 4, our, our foundational rapture scripture where we're called to go up to be with the Lord, the dead in Christ, who have died in Christ, to rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air at the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of a trumpet. And then we have Jesus here, and John says his voice was like a trumpet. And then in, verse, in chapter 4, when we see the rapture, it's, it's the voice of a trumpet. And so again, I just think it's consistency that, that it's the voice of Jesus, that the trumpet comes in, in chapter 4, verse 1. In verse um, number 11, it says, saying... I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and, se- and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, 
Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Now, um, he says, write them in a book. Hey, turn with me if you're real, really quick. We've got to do this. Daniel chapter 11. Um, sorry, Daniel chapter 12. The book of Daniel um, was sealed for a time. And, and there would come a time at the end where, where Daniel was going to told to, to, to reveal it or unseal it. But write it in a book and seal it up until the time. Now, um, the time was, how many of you guys have titles above your, your Bible verses and chapters there? What's the title above chapter 12? Of what time? What time? So we are certainly talking about, now again, these, these titles are not necessarily inspired by the Holy Spirit. The writer didn't write them. Later, as we translated the Bible, we added them. So they, they, that doesn't necessarily mean that's bond. But it's a pretty good indication that, that this is talking about. And what this is, is prophecy of the end time. And then look at verse number four. And it says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until when? Until the time of the end. And then here, I'm going to give you what the number one sign of the time of the end is. To me, you guys, how do we know we're living in the last days? I feel like personally, this scripture right here, I'm giving it to you today for free. Fourth of July, Independence Day, free blessing for you for coming to church today. Not even going to charge you extra. This, this to me, really, honestly, for me personally, my own thought, my own theology, it's one of the biggest indicators that we are absolutely living in the days of the end, the days close to the return of Jesus. Because this is what the Bible says to look for in that day. It says, seal up this book until the time of the end. And, and this is how you're going to know it's the time of the end. This is how you'll know it's the time when Jesus is going to come. Because in that time, many shall run to and fro. What does that mean? Many will travel to and fro. Okay? Do you realize from Adam and Eve to the Wright brothers... What year was that? 07? I was going to say 10. Beat me by three years. He's always got to one-up me. Um, somewhere, somewhere, right, somewhere in there, the flight began, and, and today it's different. But um, I, I heard a stat, and, and just, you, you, do you realize that when I, when I quote stats, they say that 80% of stats are made up? And I just made that up, so... So you don't, don't like, this is not Bible stuff, but it kind of, it does sell a point, right? Listen, um, that, that a, a certain amount of people in human history would be very common for somebody to be born in a house and die in that house and never travel more than 10 miles from that house in their whole lives. Lot, very common. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of places, you look, born and die, life expectancy was a lot less too. But to travel any distance, okay, let's say you lived in 1600 in central Kansas. I guess you're Native American. And, and you want to go to China. Men travel to and fro. What do you do? 1600 to get to China from Kansas. Do you walk to the coast or do you get a horse and a buggy? You've got to get over the Rockies if you go west. You've got, you got get through the Badlands if you go east. So either way, you've you got to get to a coast. But let's say you take a horse and a buggy and you walk and you, you do what you got to do to get from Kansas to a coast to catch a boat. How long did it take you to get from Kansas to New York? Okay. Then you get on a boat and how long does it take you to get to a coast of China? And then you got you to make it to wherever you're going in China. Okay. That's the way that men traveled since Adam and Eve and, and not even that efficiently um, in times prior. After, after the Wright brothers and today, 
you and I, when we want to travel to and fro today, I could leave church. I could get on a plane tonight. I would be in China and, and the day, the next day I'd be back here. We, we travel to and fro. So we now, so for, from Adam and Eve in all of human history, men didn't travel to and fro until your and my lifetime. So we are living in a day when men travel to and fro. And Jesus said, that's when the end is going to come. But he didn't say that's not, that's not it. The next thing he said, and also knowledge shall what? Increase. When did we, when did we invent the computer? I should have looked this stuff up, huh? Okay, let's call it the 50s. I, 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 see, I did see a movie about, about two ladies who were mathematicians and they worked for NASA and they helped us get to the moon. The, the computer was in a room this size and each bank was like eight feet tall, four feet wide, and it was basically a calculator. And nowadays, NASA doesn't have anything in those days that's, a, that's anywhere near as strong as this and now it'll fit in your pocket. Knowledge is exponential. Exponential growth is, is hard to understand, but knowledge increases exponentially. If you put one grain of rice on a, on a checkerboard, and then you double it in the second square, and then you double that in the third square, and you double that in the fourth square, and you double that in the fifth square, that's exponential math. By the time that you get halfway through the checkerboard, halfway, there's not enough rice in all of India to fill that square. It's how fast exponential math um, multiplies itself. And knowledge is the same way. Technology is the same way. 2007, I was in line to get the first iPhone. 2007, that's not that long ago. And, and they say that all the technology companies far underestimated the iPhone and, and the impact that it would have in those days, and it took them a lot longer to catch up. That's why your Androids stink and your iPhones are really good. Because the Android's still trying to catch up. All right, let's go back to Revelation and actually talk about something that's true in Bible. And we're almost done. I, I promised my wife that on the 4th of July would be the one Sunday a year. I was going to get you guys out on time, and I lied. It's not going to happen. Um, but I tried. I did. It was in my heart. Do I get any credit for what was in my heart? Um, let me ask you guys honestly. Do you agree with those two things I just said for, out of Daniel? That in the last days, men will travel to and fro, and that, and that knowledge would increase. That this generation is absolutely the generation that saw that? That that's a pretty good indicator that the things that are unfolding biblically are going to happen or they are happening in our day? Does that mean that the, the Lord can't tarry another 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Absolutely. The Lord can't tarry that long. But we have now indicators. And Jesus said, the day and the hour you won't know, but of the times and seasons you shall know. There's no need that I write to you of the times and the seasons. You'll already know because the signs of the times will be evident. And so we have that. And then in verse number um, 12, he says, Then I turned, and this is that word perceived, Then I turned to see the voice and, that was speaking with me. And having turned is the word perceived. I perceived and I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of seven, of seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar when he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire? One of my favorite passages in Daniel chapter 3. And Nebuchadnezzar comes to the edge of the fire and he says, Did I not throw three men into the fire? And yet I see four and they're loosed. And the fourth is like the Son of God. And he sees Jesus walking in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who doesn't keep us, by the way, out of the fire, but goes into the fire with us. And, and John here sees Jesus and he says, He's like the Son of Man. 
clothed with the garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. The priest wore this golden band. And so Jesus is, is our priest. The Bible says that Jesus is both our high priest and our king. Only Jesus can hold that title biblically, by the way. In verse 14, his hair and he- his head and hair were white like wool. So you white hairs in here, you feel good. Jesus got white hair too. That's a badge of honor, of wisdom. As white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. I love it that Jesus' eyes are like the flame of fire. The Bible says that one day we're going to go to a Bema seat judgment of Christ. And everything that you do, every motive that you've done to serve God, that God promises as an eternal war- reward for, the Bema, at the Bema seat judgment, your, your life is tried with, with fire. Your, your, your works, I should say. More technically, your works are tried with fire. And those that are wood and stubble, they're going to do what? Burn up. But those things that you did with a genuine heart for God, those are going to come out the other side as your reward, the Bible says, in the Bema seat of Christ. You know what? Jesus' eyes are like fire. I wonder if the Bema seat judgment is all it really is, is just us looking at the eyes of Jesus for the first time. And the eyes of Jesus, a fire purify us. And, and, and that which is wood, hay, and stubble in our lives is burned up. And that which is, is, is gems and reward remains as we get to embrace Jesus for the first time. And look into those eyes of fire. And then it says, um, in verse 15, his feet were like brass. Now you do have to, um, again, note here that there's lots of likes and as is, is. And so it's not always that it is the thing, but it's like the thing. And as John is doing his best to describe it for us. Um, I passed something that, oh, I got I to keep going. Is refined in a furnace, his voice, the sound of many waters. He, he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and in his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Earlier he said twice in this chapter, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And this is the verse I got twisted on. In Isaiah, God says, he tells us many times in Revelation, he's the Alpha and the Omega. You know, I want to tell you, I can remember being in Bible college and, and, and something was introduced to me was the debate that, that is Jesus himself God? And, and I can remember thinking and trying to study and, and like, okay, I believe he's God. And, and I know that's, you know, true. That's our theology, our doctrine. But I, I got I to gotta find it in the Bible. And then I can remember over the next years as, as I would just read my Bible, read my New Testament, I came to the point where I'm like, who could possibly not see Jesus as God himself? As God in the flesh. It's not just like you've got to dig really fine and, fine and find one passage in the New Testament that proves Jesus is God. It's full of it. The whole Bible is full of telling us that Jesus is God in the flesh. It's so simple. I can't remember thinking like, why do everybody argue about this? It's so simple. Like, I'm just reading the Bible over and over and over again and seeing that Jesus is God in the flesh. But I will give you something. Write this down if you take notes. This is important. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 10 and 11, because some people who don't believe that Jesus is God, or they believe that they themselves will become gods, or that, that life will uh, manifest into other gods, they, they, they have to wrestle with this, because the Bible, again, is clear. Verse number 10, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he, before me there was no God formed, 
nor shall there be after me. That's what God says of himself. Before me there was no God, and after me there will be no God. There's one God of heaven in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he will be the only God. And we will be his servants, and we will serve, rule, and reign with him as kings and priests in his kingdom, but not gods. And there's one God, and Jesus, um, again, is God. And now back to Revelation. I want to wrap these last couple verses. I hate to rush through 19, cause, but, I, but I've been doing it every week. Verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and amen. I have the keys of Hades and death. You know, we, we oftentimes try to give Peter, and it was an old Catholic doctrine that was kind of hard to get, to, to get over because it's, it's thousands of years old, and Jesus um, gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. But you've got to study that verse. Peter is not the one who holds the keys to the kingdom, and here it's easily cleared up. Jesus says he's the one that has the keys, right? And I have the king, keys of Hades and death. Write these things which you have seen, the things that are past, chapter 1, the things which are, that's you and I, we call this dispensation that we're in the church age. The church age is going to come to an end. Super Bible trivia, where do we find that in the Bible? Romans chapter 11, verse 25, is where the church age ends. It says, when the, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then the rapture happens. And so we're in the church age. When the church age is going to end, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, that's chapters 2 and 3. Chapters 4 through 22 are the things which will take place after this. Everything for and, and beyond is all future. It's all prophecy. And then chapter 20, or verse 20 says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels. The word, in the, the word angels in your Bible literally translates messengers. So these are the messengers of the seven churches. The seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. If you have an original King James and it says the seven candlesticks, it should be lampstands because they didn't use wax or candlesticks in these days. There, there were oil lamps, and so they are definitely lampstands. And, and, and so they had, again, the, the menorah. But here it says to the angels. Now, some say that, that, this, that this was addressed to um, angelic angels, but it really doesn't make sense that John would write words on a paper and then give it to uh, a real angel so they could read or understand it. So, so the word here that, that, that translates or literally means messenger, that these, these letters were actually delivered to real people. They would have been delivered to the pastors, the leaders of these physical, literal seven churches. So, you know, it brings some comfort to me that, 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 that Jesus addresses the, the actual leadership of the churches. What we're going to come to in the next couple of weeks, you guys, um, and I'll say this about every Bible verse we, we study, but it's my favorite. It is so good because we get this, this report card of A, B, C, D, F, um, and, and, and some are good, some are bad, and we get to learn how to function as a church through the rest of this. But Jesus writes a letter to the seven churches, and he's going and, and most of them, it's, it's a lot of criticism except for two churches. And, and so again, we'll look at those churches in the coming weeks. And, and some of this stuff, Jesus says that he is in the midst of this lampstand. And so we have Jesus in the midst. I want you to know that the menorah is a very Jewish thing, right? When you see a menorah, this is a menorah. 
It's, it's used on Hanukkah. This happens to be a Christian version of it. This, you wouldn't find this necessarily, not for sure, in a Jewish home because it has the fish on the bottom. And, and the, the tail of the fish is, is, in, is in the shape. And then you have the, the other triangle, which represents the temple, Solomon's temple, the temple of God. And when you put the two together, it makes the Star of David, the, the, the tail of the Christian fish and the Star of David. And the menorah is, is the seven golden lampstands. Well, it says Jesus in one hand has the menorah, and in the other, the, um, the seven stars, which are the seven messengers. And so Jesus holds these seven messengers in his hand. But for us, and the reason why we rep a, a, a menorah is because what Revelation is saying there is that it's a reminder, again, for, for us in the New Testament, as we take this, this biblical symbol, and what it says in Revelation 1 is that Jesus is in the midst of the churches. And so when you see that menorah, that menorah I keep on my pulpit, it's a reminder. It's a biblical statement that says Jesus is in our church, that Jesus is in the midst of his people. And it's right there in the book, right there on the page of the Revelation, that Jesus is in the midst of us. And behold, I'm coming quickly. Amen? Let's stand together. Oh, that was terrible. I had to rush through that last part, man. That's killing me right now. I, I skipped some things that oh, I want to talk about. Oh, I want to talk about some stuff that I had to skip. I had to skip the Lord's Day. You guys got to look at that. Maybe we'll just talk about it next week because it's tough to skip what, it, what John was talking about when he said that John was, was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Ooh, that's good. We're going to cover that next week, though, in the beginning. I've got to go back and cover it, and then we'll get into the churches. Amen? Amen. Hey, we pray and hope each one of you guys have a wonderful and a safe, happy 4th of July as you celebrate with your family and your friends today or whatever you're going to do as you go out of here. Um, Share the gospel with somebody today. Be a witness with somebody today. Ask God for a new fire in our hearts to understand that that our life is eternal and we're living for the next world, not this one. And when this life throws stink balls at us, that we can handle it because we're, we're, we're not in this world. It's not our, of our world. And the more it makes us hate this world, the more it makes us long for heaven. Amen? And when we get to see that Jesus that John saw and made him fall on his face, that should motivate us every day. And we're going to see Jesus. He's going to look at us with eyes of fire and heart of love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. And Father, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray if there's anybody in here today that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that right now in their heart, Jesus, that they would say yes to you. And if that's you here today, you just say yes to receiving Jesus in every part of your life. You say that in your heart, and more important than a sinner's prayer or anything, God has already done the work as you've opened your heart and said yes to Jesus. So if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus or you're not right with Jesus, just right now say yes. Jesus, I give you my life. I repent. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And Father, we thank you. We praise you. We pray to bless the rest of our day, God. I pray, Father, that you'd fill our hearts with the love of Jesus. I pray, Father, that we would desire, as Mary did, to sit at your feet, that we would sit at your feet with open Bibles because the Bible says your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. I thank you, Jesus, that every part of the Bible is about you. And revelation and prophecy, Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So powerful. That in, in, in the revelation of the book, that it's, it's written of you. And in the volume of the book, the Bible says it is written of you, Jesus. And we thank you for that. So, Father, bless this day. Lord, bless our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.